In this episode of the Evolving Media Podcast, I'm joined by Topas Adizes, writer, director and experience designer. Through the experience design studio he founded called The Skin Deep, he's won an Emmy with their project The End, he's won two World Press Photo Awards for immersive experiences, and he's continuously exploring new ways to interact with the audience. Join us for a talk on that most crucial thing today, how humans can connect in the digital age. Enjoy. Topas, you're extremely welcome on this podcast. I, I think you're doing amazing stuff and with a angle that I think that a lot of people who are in the creative business, a human-centered angle that, that many people aren't really thinking about all that deeply. But just to start off, what got you started with the Skin Deep, the, the, the company that, that, that you started out? What was the philosophy behind you starting it up? I probably started when I was a kid, but I'll rush forward, meaning that, you know, kind of the little uh, painful moments or experiences you have as a kid oftentimes shape the gifts that you have as an adult. And um, that would probably be the fact that um, I didn't really quite feel intimate with my parents. They're wonderful human beings, but I kind of felt, and they got divorced when I was three or four. Mm -hmm. So there was always this kind of... uh, question in my mind about connection between people. And I was always looking at that as a three, four year old about connection between, you know, basically the two people I love most, which were my parents, their inability to connect oftentimes fight in front of us. And so I think that probably laid the seed um, that later kind of blossomed into this interest in intimacy, this interest in human connection, this interest in people connecting to one another. But if I fast forward to probably when I was, um, well, it was 2011, May 2011. I The two previous years, I had two short films at the Sundance Film Festival. And then the third year, 2011, I had a short film at the, at Cannes, at the uh, La Semaine de la Critique. Mm-hmm. You know, which yeah. for me was, yes. okay, I felt like I had made it as a film director because I was very yeah. much in the game of being a film director, right? Yes. And, um you know, I remember the screening and this and that, and really nothing happened. You know, I had, I was in that mode of like having your feature script ready to go and da, 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 da. And I thought, okay, here's a film director who's just two years at Sundance, third year at Cannes. I mean, what else is there to do as a short film director? Now it's time to make a feature. And yet I wasn't really, there was not really much traction um, for me. And probably because, you know, I see my work as kind of a social reflection, um, human reflection and not necessarily a consumer product. So obviously the marketplace wasn't like, Oh, let's go make a feature. I probably Mm. assumed that. But really what happened to me was uh, two months later, I put the film on Vimeo by accident without a password. So, you know, usually you put up a password at this point. I forgot to put the password up and Vimeo picked it up as short of the week. Um, And within a week I had 400,000 views. And that really (laughs) posed the question for me, like, Okay. What, how much time, money, and energy would it have taken for me to get 400,000 people to see my short film in the theater? Yes. So this is 2011. The digital ones were, were not as pervasive as they are now. Now there's a larger market for short films. Then there weren't. Um, and I just thought like, well, it would have taken me a lot of time, money, energy to make that happen. And then here it happened in one week and I really did nothing, you know, in terms of marketing the film out. Yeah. And I, and that posed a question for me then, what game am I playing? You know, am I in the game of 
<clears throat> I always saw cinema as modern day popular culture meditation. You know, you're taking the mainstream culture, you're putting them in a confined space where they're totally focused on the screen for 90 minutes, more or less. The mm -hmm. breathing pattern is consistent. And in some way, it's modern day meditation. You know, they're not closing their eyes saying, um, but they are focused on one thing and they are immersed uh, in one kind of experience. And I yeah, always saw cinema like that. Like to me, that was for me what cinema was, um, which I'm still interested in. But at that time, I was like, okay, is that the game I'm in? Or, or am I in the game of injecting ideas into the mainstream? Because if okay, I'm in, yeah. you know, and I figured like, okay, well, I'm actually really interested in injecting ideas in the mainstream. And if that's the case, why am I spending time in, you know, in this trying to put messages on in cinema when instead, you know, I just saw 400,000 people in a week on Vimeo on a digital platform. If it's an idea of us sharing ideas with the mainstream, injecting ideas in the mainstream, then actually digital platforms, digital media is a much more effective tool to do that than it is the traditional methods of cinema. Absolutely. And so that, that kind of started shifting my thinking and then it collided with, you know, an investor asking me to make a movie about why good looking people get ahead. And I was like, okay, let, let me get back to you. And I got back to him two months later saying like, listen, let's, let's not make this movie about why good looking people get ahead. Cause there's something else that's really interesting happening. And it's the shift in the way we're connecting. It's the shift in the way we're emotionally experiencing life, human life, hmm. you know, I mean, um, there's a shift in the way that we're relating. I mean, children now don't know what an old school phone looks like. You know, they expect it to look like a mini iPad. That yes. to them is a phone or it's like a Bluetooth earpiece. Um, so they have different perceptions of connecting. I mean, I remember I'm 43 now and I remember being a kid and I'm assume you do as well. And many, some listeners, um, you know, when you had that experience where you liked someone in your class and you wanted to call him or her. And mm -hmm. so you pick up the phone, the house phone, because there's only house phone. <laughs> yes. And you dial it. And maybe you even had a little dial that you had to like ring number seven and wait for it to like go back. And then ring number six and go, da, 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 go back. <laughs> yeah. And you're waiting. I remember it very well. Yeah. Right. And you're getting sweaty and nervous because you're not sure. First, you're wondering if you're going to talk to the person you like. But then before you talk to the person you like, you're wondering who's going to pick up the phone. Yeah. Maybe Will it be dad, the father? Yeah. 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 Right. You know, the mom or the. <laughs> Or even worse, the big brother. Oh, the big brother making, you know, I mean, that experience, that anxiety does not exist anymore. There are different kinds of anxiety right now, but young people now don't have that experience. If they want to reach someone, they can reach them directly. They can speak one-to-one. -one. Um, so there's a shift happening. You know, everyone is looking at technology, how it's shifting politics and the economy and, um, society itself but what about just the emotional side what about us is you know emotions are such a huge fundamental part of being human and i think we're not looking closely enough at that and i was really interested in that i'm 15 i always have a brother who's 15 months younger than i uh what, 16 years 16 months 16 years younger than i and i know you oh, know we at the time yeah we were both single and I just saw how his dating pattern was different than mine. I felt really uncomfortable at the time texting a woman to connect. I wanted to talk to her on the phone. But if I was speaking to anyone who was five years or younger than me, um, they didn't want to talk on the phone. They wanted to text. And I yes. found that really odd, you know. But my younger brother, that was normal. 
And um, of course, you would text, 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 and then meet in person, and it felt like you'd been talking for whatever, one, two weeks. But I just noticed how different generations, due to their relationship to technology, were relating to one another differently. And I thought that was incredibly interesting, but also incredibly important. And I say it's important because we're right now in this inflection period in human history. Things are changing so rapidly fast that I think things that we would, we would have been shocked about 15 years ago, we now take for granted. Yeah, we don't even see them anymore. It's, we don't even become, see them. Yeah, yeah. We assume they've always been like that. So for the older generation and younger, I mean, if you go to anyone who's 25 years or younger right now and you ask them, do you remember when bottled water came out? I'm not talking about Pellegrino. I'm talking about bottled water. These cheap yeah. bottles of plastic bottles of water being sold. I remember as a kid when they came out and I thought it was the most ridiculous, stupidest uh, product in the world. And I was like, yeah. why is anyone buying water when you can go drink from the tap? Yeah. But now you and go now, to anyone who's 25 and, and, sorry, what was that? No, no, it's now they're, they're as natural as the sun coming up in the morning, basically. Yeah. They've always so they been there. It's always yeah. been like that. They assume it's always been like that. But what about, what about emotional experiences in life? The things that are happening now that are new, that didn't happen before, there's also things that used to happen that don't happen anymore. And we can't, I, I think that the way we're connecting is shifting and we wanted to, my team and I in the skin deep, we wanted to be part of that conversation. We yeah. wanted to influence the way people were connecting with themselves and with others. No, we wanted people to rethink how they connect with themselves and others, refeel how they connect with themselves and others. And if digital media is the fastest way to do that, because you can instantly send something out and it can spread to, the, to whoever's able to have access to the internet and YouTube or whatnot in the globe, then digital media is an incredibly good pa- platform for that to have the conversation and explore human connection. And I mean, you've had, you've had when looking at your projects and I encourage people to go to, to your website that will be linked in the description of this podcast episode to have a look at w- what you've done. But a lot of them has to do exactly, or mo- all of them have to do exactly with that, how to, how human connect, humans connect. Uh, like for instance, the, the one that, uh, that stuck with me for some reason was this, um, the dig, just helping, yeah. helping us to see the world through, through other people and their, their situations, their, what their lives are like. Do, do you feel that, do you feel that today we're, we experience a lack of, lack of, of empathy or are we, are we flooded with so much empathy inducing things continuously that we just get numb to, to, to all the, to all the people around us? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think it's, uh, requires many distinctions. So I would say that I don't think we're lacking in empathy or having, you know, like that. Oh, okay. So there's two sides of the equation. One side of the equation is there's just so much content out there. Now there's so many distractions that, um, and they're all kind of distracting you to different ends into different emotional states Mm -hmm. that they're not always directed towards empathy. Right. Um, there's, you know, you're watching, there's just so much content to watch Netflix, Amazon, prime, Hulu, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I mean, there's just so much stuff. Don't forget Disney plus. (laughs) This, uh, yes. Disney plus. Um, there's so much stuff that you can so easily get distracted that, and they're not all aimed towards empathy. 
You know, the, the, you know, one thing that I'm always saying on about social media is that everyone's talking. Everybody, all, all this content is about people talking, people saying something, giving you advice, telling you how to do, look at how great I am. Everything is people talking, talking, talking. Rarely do I see content about people listening. And that's actually one thing that True. I think is unique about the Skin Deep is that, you know, People don't know who the founder of the Skin Deep is. People don't really know who the team members of the Skin Deep. That's not what's important. What's important is we're creating the space for humans to be humans and for other humans to remind themselves of the humanity that lies between us all. And that's what we're really focused on. And I think, so on one side of the equation, you have like an abundance of content that can distract you. But on the other hand, what's really interesting is that let's just take a look at the way information is, was shared even 20 years ago, right? Let's say something happened in um, somewhere. Let's say there's a shooting somewhere. Let's say there's um, some kind of fight somewhere, some kind of political event. There's an event. It happens. So there's the event that happens. Then you have someone who's filming that event, right? Mm-hmm, then you have yeah. somebody filming like a camera person, someone or photographing. Then you have someone who's a journalist who's actually reporting on it and translating it further. Then you have a distribution company like CNN, Fox or ABC, NBC, Tom Brokaw, Peter Jennings in the States. You know, someone who's like telling you the information, right? So if you look, that's four steps from the, the, the kind of the victim, if you will, or the accomplice to someone recording the information to someone translating it. And then you have the distribution channel. So there's mm. four layers, right? And if you look at them, each time it goes to the camera person, something's lost. And then it goes to the journalist. They, they translate it in their own way. Then it goes to the distribution center. They have their own filters about how to, you know, interpret the information. So it kind of yeah, gets the, but yeah, now, it's the broken telephone game. It's or, the broken yeah. telephone. But now something happens and it literally goes from one person's who's filming it straight into my hand. So they're mm. filming someone getting beaten on the, you know, a, uh, uh, police officer in the States beating uh, someone on the, on the street and someone is filming it. Someone is the witness and it goes from literally their hand, the phone in their hand to the phone in my hand. Mm. And there's nothing in, in between. Do you feel there's a, do you feel there's a danger in that? Just sorry for, for interrupting, but do you feel there's a danger in that with it uh, lacking context when it comes to, because I remember back in the days before we had the polarization, before we had people, news media just chasing clicks and just catering to the echo chambers just to get a rise out of people and get them to engage because they that's the way they make money nowadays. But back in the days, news media was supposed, was and was supposed to be the people who put uh, what happened in the world into context for the mass audience. And when it comes directly from one person to your hand, as you say, then it, it's obviously what's happening, but then we don't know what the context of the, whatever it is, is. Right? Absolutely. But we see now how context is being manipulated, right? We see how fake news. Oh, absolutely. News- yes, yes, yes. We see now that, I mean, basically one event happens in the States, Fox News interprets it one way and CNN or MSNBC interprets it a totally another way. And they're basically all preaching to the choir. So in that case, I'm wondering what is even the value of context? But don't get me wrong. Context is extremely important. What I'm pointing, you know, there's that saying that content is king, but context is God. Mm-hmm. I think that's really like valuable and saying, but then again, you have to question who's controlling the context. 
And I guess what I'm saying is that when, when, if you know that the footage you're seeing is real, because sometimes it's not, if what you're seeing is actually real and it's going directly from the person's hand who's witnessing the event into my hand, then what I know is the context is not necessarily um, explained or illuminated, but what I do know is that it's not manipulated. What I do know is that it's direct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have to go do my own research to like create or the critical thinking to create my own context for what the meaning is. But at the very least, it's not being manipulated and it's yeah, being think, manipulated left and right. I mean, sorry. Yeah, I'll go ahead. You know, no, I, mean, I was just going to say that, that it's a, it's, it's sort of a paradox in the sense that yeah. we've never had this much content and this much stories and this much information being thrown, thrown at us or being made available for us to take part of. So, so we could just sit back and relax, um, perhaps not to relax, but at least sit back and just let the flood of information and content just wash over us. But at the same time, it's never been as important as today to be actually lean forward, make your, up your own mind about stuff and be, try to become as informed as possible. So this is, this is the time when the audience has to be proactive. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it comes down even more so to personal responsibility. And it's always come down, in my opinion, to personal responsibility. But in this case now, when you actually can choose the media you consume and every piece you, I don't think people realize that consuming media is like consuming a pill. You know, you know, if I eat, yeah. you know, if I take a lot of vitamin C and different nutrients and I'll have a healthy body, if I eat a lot of unhealthy foods that are processed, I'll have a less healthy body. And the same thing pertains to the media. Mm-hmm. You're spending hours flipping through content on Facebook that's not really elevating your critical thinking or your experience and belief in humanity or, or deepening your connection to other people, then um, your relationships might deteriorate or to another point. I mean, I think, I think we just should be aware of the media that we consume, much like the food that we eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It affects our well-being as much as food that we consume. It, in a sense, it's, it's the same. Do you remember the... the the nutritional plate or whatever it's called. Do you remember? Yeah. You, you should have you like the two potatoes and then the carrot right. and then a little bit of meat and then, the, you know, all of that, all the greens yeah. and all the stuff like that. And it, uh-huh. it feels like you should have the same thing with media. Just force yourself out of your echo chambers and your comfort zones and, and see the other sides and the third side and the fourth side of any issue that you're interested in. Absolutely. And you have to, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I also think that, you know, you can't tell people to do that because come on, Frank, if you had, if you had yeah, a choice yeah, like yeah, a <laughs> burger or a, like a vegan, non-processed, you know, raw patty, I don't know what you would, everyone wants the burger. We get it. Yeah. yeah. How do you, how do you create a product that a cons- an asset, a video asset that does speak to people that does elicit their attention? You're asking them for their time and energy and, and, and time. That's the most valuable thing people have. So how do you offer them an experience without patronizing them, without saying self-righteous, this is what you should do. And I think that's what we're really good at the skin deep. And I think other um, media companies are, are creating content that does move you, that does illuminate you, that does teach you without um, being, you know, without coming across as some self-righteous, you know, lesson because no one wants to watch that. It's, and that's the challenge, right? As a content creators. Yeah, I, I, I was just going to say that I think that's one 
area, one, one, one field where you at the Skin Deep are excelling in the sense that you, you actually, you get those connections going. If you look at, um, it's called The End, right? Yeah. Uh, it's an amazing series that really lifts the lid on how we can, through other people, reflecting on themselves and their partners or, and other people, learn more about ourselves and start reflecting on ourselves as well. It's, it's yeah. amazing stuff. Do you feel more scared or more excited about what the future will bring? I feel responsible for what the future brings. Yeah. I think, um, so for instance, asking the question, is it good or bad? I mean, it's happening. What are you doing about it? I think many yeah, yeah, of us, yeah. Yeah. I think like something that I've definitely learned from the end um, from my experience is that um, we're often looking for answers. What's right, what's wrong. You know, or like, you know, is it optimistic or pessimistic? And we're often looking to the future with these, looking for the answers. I think it's much wiser and I think more productive and empowering to look for the better questions. Mm-hmm. Yes. Stop focusing on trying, like if you ask better questions, the answers will be clear. So for instance, you know, people are saying, okay, should I take this job or not? What's the answer? Do I take this job? Should I, yes or no? Well, I don't know. Okay, stop. What if we just... Ask the question, um, how much energy will this job give me? How much value will I give others by doing, by spending my time with this job? Hmm. Um, what is life teaching? What is life offering me the opportunity to create and learn right now? How, if I, you know, what do I want written on my eulogy and how will this decision affect that? Um, I don't know. Be creative about the questions you ask. Find questions that inspire you and move you. The answer to those is the direction you should head in. But instead of focusing on like, that's what I just find is that we're like in this case, in my pessimistic, optimistic is like, um, I prefer to ask the question is like, what can I do right now in this gift that I have in this lifetime to contribute to greater consciousness? Cause I'm already dead. I mean, that's one thing that drives my, like, I feel like I've seen my life from backwards. You know, if you think now, you can remember when you were four or five. You can remember when you were 10, 12, like it was mm-hmm. yesterday. And now mm-hmm. you're married, you have three kids, and you're, you know, in your mid-career. Time flies so fast. Next thing you know, you're going to be dying. You're going to be dead. So the question is, mm-hmm. what have I left behind? And I, like, query all the future. is not like what's going to happen, but more like what can I do now? What can I do now to participate in this conversation, to contribute to the community? Whatever that, mm. however, whatever that community is. And mm. so I don't know if it's pessimistic or negative because I don't, I'd rather look at um, how can I contribute now? How can I partake now? How can I add the conversation now? Um, because if I look too far, depending on my mood and my day, I might, I might, you know, get myself down. I might, I might be negative or I might be, up to, I don't know. I just, I'd rather just think of what can I do now? Mm-hmm. Be uh, proactive. You know, yeah. Yeah. Proactive on that and, and just do my best to influence the future by contributing, by doing the things that I know how to do best. Yeah. And I mean, for most people, or for many people, it might be that the, the informed decision they take is to uh, basically focus on themselves or focus on a hobby that gives them joy and perhaps somewhere, but not in greater things in in quotation marks as long as it's an informed decision into what path you take then it's uh, then that's okay but you need to inform yourself first when you say informed i wonder what that means like 
how often do we really know all the information or how, how, how much do we know everything we need to know to make an informed, like what do you mean by informed decision? What I mean by informed decision is that you at least strive to make the decisions yourself, that you don't wake up and find that you've just been tagging along and some, something else, circumstances, whatever, has made all the decisions for you, but that you know that it, th- these were my choices, good or bad. Yeah, I wonder about that because yeah. I wonder how much we really know about whether, the, like, if I'm making a decision. I mean, I might think I'm making a decision, but maybe I'm making that decision based on some old pattern of mine. Mm, that true. Is, I feel like, right. yeah, this is my decision, but am I making a decision because I'm, whenever I see this in the past, I get scared and therefore I'm reacting to now. And I'm, yes, I'm making the decision, but I'm really reacting to an old pattern of mine. Yeah, that's true. That's you know, true. I, I wonder. I could give an example about Glorious Bastards with um, Tarantino. Mm-hmm. If you watch the last scene of that movie where you had these two Jewish soldiers killing everyone, all the Nazis in a the theater and burning them. And basically they're, you know, they're, they, they, they shoot them to pieces and they're just killing them all. Um, however, if you go two minutes before that, the scene is that all the Nazis are in a theater watching a movie and the movie they're watching is basically a Tarantino movie. Yeah. Whenever they cut to see the movie, it's people dying humorously left and right, gratuitously. And then two minutes later, you see in reality, we, the audience, are watching and laughing at the same thing that in the movie the Nazis are watching and laughing at. Mm -hmm. Nazis are watching a movie, laughing at American soldiers getting killed left and right. Two minutes later, in reality, we, a Western audience, are laughing at these two Jews killing Germans left and right. And we're equating, this this is how bad the Nazis are. They laugh at these kind of movies. Well, then how bad are we? Because we're laughing at the same kind of movie. And I think that's genius. I think Tarantino's genius for making that. When I saw that film, I went through all his research, all his interviews to see, was Tarantino aware of that's what he did? And maybe he was or not. I haven't spoken directly. But in his interviews, he never alludes to that. He never talks about it, which made me just think, if he was aware of that, maybe he wouldn't be able to make the kind of movies he did. Maybe he wouldn't be able to make that message and make it effective. Mm. But maybe because it's on a subconscious level, he has other interests. He, by chance, creates a product and experience that has that message, and therefore it's powerful, whether mm-hmm. we all get it as an audience or not. And I think that that makes me question, you know, informed. I don't know how much of it is conscious. I don't know how much should be cognitive. Maybe it should be more from the heart. Like, this is how I feel. This is where my passion is. This is where I go. And, mm-hmm. and also, I just want to say, I think there's so much emphasis these days it's, and with scaling and technology. Everyone's like, I want to affect a billion people. I want to change half a billion people. Everyone is so focused on having huge companies valued it so much, affecting billions of people. And I would just come back to what about just affecting one person? Mm. Why instead of focusing on the scale, scale, why don't we focus on the quality? Yeah. Yeah, And and if we if if we look at to go back to the back in the back in uh, the heydays of our youth when we picked up the phone to to call the the person we were interested in and and trying not to 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 get to talk to their dad. Uh, Right now, it's possible for us as storytellers to pick up the phone and. And 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 basically reach anyone, as you were saying, and mm-hmm. and that's that's powerful. Oh, uh, it's, it's just that it's just that they need to also pick up, and uh, and 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 we need to reach them in the in the right way, and and have make the right sort of connection. 
I, I think um, I just I just don't use the word right and wrong. Mm. I use the terms like, um, you know, because it's in relation to what? Like, do we want to excite them more? Do we want to create a dialogue? Do we want to upset them? Do we want to move them to action? I mean, so it's like in a better way. I would say, how do we connect with people? And, and I think ultimately it's, it's um, I mean, we, you know, when you talk about the future of media for me, it's that we have a unique opportunity now and that's kind of what the and is based on uh, the, the interactive website of the and and the dig um, are based on, which is this idea that what I call interactive 2.0, which is not a great term, but mm. basically it's creating content that only comes to life because a user is engaging with it. Mm. Much like your phone, you know, that your phone, is, right. Your phone, your phone, if your phone has all your data and your schedule, your, your, all your numbers, if you give me your phone, your phone is nothing to me. I can't mm. even log in. It's a Frisbee, you know, it's a coaster for my beer. It doesn't mean anything, but yet to you, it means everything. Mm. Similarly. So my question is why can't we make content like that? Why can't we make films like that? And we do now we can, because we have software and it's almost like blending video games with cinema, almost like blending AI with, with movies, right? Is how do you create content that comes to life and engage with only you, the user? Not because right, everything we make, even what Hulu, Netflix, all, all everything we've ever made, it doesn't care who watches it. It's still the same film, mm, you know. And that is, that's yeah, you know, and that's one thing that I'm really a proponent of is really how do you create content that's alive? Because all the content we've ever created up until now is dead. Meaning Mona Lisa doesn't change an iota, doesn't change anything, doesn't care if the Louvre is open or closed, or a million people watch her or one person sees her, it doesn't change. Same thing with the Beatles song and same thing with Game of Thrones. It doesn't matter. The thing is not alive. It doesn't, it's inanimate. It doesn't care who's watching it. But now we have the opportunity of creating content that does engage with the viewer directly one-on-one and comes to life only because the user engaged with it. And I don't think we're doing enough of that. Like I don't see enough of that. I see choose your own adventure, but that's choose your own adventure. That's 1.0. 2.0 is more the experiences that we've been building with the dig and with the end. And we're in the future, hope to create more of. I think that's a wonderful place to, to end this discussion with a cliffhanger that, that will allow us to get back to this talk because I want to de- delve deeper into that, that okay. thought, but we'll do it in the next episode that you're on. Topas, thanks a bunch for being on this uh, podcast episode always always an intense joy to talk thank to you. you thank you simon it's a pleasure thanks for having me i appreciate it